Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds. We are currently watching the bottom of the seventh inning, so bear with us as we do this intro. It's uh, very exciting. We got two on, two out with Harper at the plate. But welcome back. We are breaking down the AL East prospects year in review. Today we have Red Sox and we have Rays. With me, as always, is my co-host, Richie. Richie, why don't you come on in and uh, join the excitement of this at-bat? Yeah, how's it going? So a little more context. It's Game 7 of the NLCS, Arizona Diamondbacks, and the Philadelphia Phillies. Philly is down 4-2, runner on first and second. Harper's up 2-1, two outs. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a little intense right now. They're riding Ginkle in this series, and I'm I'm very yeah. very impressed because I think that was the biggest weakness that I saw, and he popped it up. Um, biggest weakness I I saw for Arizona coming into the series was just the lack of depth in the bullpen, and in they yeah they're they're, they're six out. outs away, um, which yeah. is incredible. I I Nuts. still can't believe that they may be representing the NL in the World Series. So let me ask you this: If it's Diamondbacks Rangers, who are you rooting for? I'm rooting I'm rooting for the Rangers because I from a roster construction perspective, I I'm just so impressed that their signings worked out, that they were able to go out and really kind of slapped the Band-Aid on the DeGrom injury, bringing in Scherzer. And I don't think Scherzer's the ace anymore. I think we're seeing that, obviously. But they have chosen to do enough from a construction perspective to put themselves here. And I know they're spending money, but you know Evan Carter coming up, Nate Lowe being uh, an acquisition. And I think a lot of these things have to be rewarded. Uh, and then you look at Arizona from the opposite perspective, like, I view Arizona a lot like I did when the Bengals and Joe Burrow made the Super Bowl, where it was like, oh, damn, you're here. And like, you're here like much earlier into the rebuild. But I also view it like you may never get back. Sure, you're you're possibly making the World Series and sure, Joe Burrow, you've made the Super Bowl. But like just because you're making it early and you're still into a rebuild doesn't mean that you will have future success. And I think I say that from, again, a football perspective, when we look at the 2011 Packers, when they won the Super Bowl, I thought that year we had three, four, five more opportunities down the pipe because of where our construction was with the team, the roster, the ages, and it just never happened again. So I all that for that factor. That was all me, Mike McCarthy's fault, though. You know, his play calling was just sure, so vanilla. Sure, but there's, there's always variables, right? Like the Diamondbacks making the World Series, when you think about it, even two months ago, you'd laugh at that fact because there were the Braves, there were the Dodgers, there were the oh, Phillies, yeah. and like they weren't, they were probably one of the worst teams we would pick because when we looked at their roster, their rotation had holes. Uh, I mean, Brandon Fott being arguably their best pitcher this series, you know, and looking at the postseason, he had a terrible first round. Um, so all of those variables play in, but I would I would definitely root for the Rangers. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm rooting for Rangers too, but I secretly want the Diamondbacks to win, but... I'm going to be torn. If the Phillies make it, I want the Phillies to win. I really want to see Harper get a World Series after he kind of got snubbed as soon as he left the Nationals. They go out and win one. So I, I, I secretly feel bad for Harper on that front. I mean, I'm, I I agree with you. I just, I, I we're going to see. I mean, they just went through the heart of the order. So they have oh, yeah. six batters to get two runs. Uh, I mean, that's layman's terms, the easiest way to put it. And, like, we're going to have to see. But oh, um, Paul Seawald has been phenomenal so you really have three batters left yeah it's uh it's gonna be interesting but let's let's jump in uh we will keep you updated as the game continues we are headed to the bottom of the seventh it looks like we're switching over the top of the eighth uh so we are talking red Sox and rays today we have a lot of risers and some of these risers are just players that we really wanted to notate today uh players that may have already been in top 10s top 15s but maybe had great years, and maybe we just have something to say about them. Uh, so we're going to jump off right away with the Red Sox risers. Richie, go ahead and kick it off with the first couple of players we have listed. Yeah, so going with the Red Sox, I'll just go on the first one. Um, I think the easiest riser has got to be Roman Anthony. Wasn't really on the radar as far as prospects goes until this year. He broke out phenomenally. He went from low A all the way to double A. Um, over the course of 42 games at single A, he started off slow, 228 batting average, only one home run, one stolen base. And then he really hit his stride once he went to high in 54 games, batted 294, had 12 home runs, had a little bit of a power surge, two stolen bases. 
Um, and then he went to double A for 10 games, batted 343 with only one home run, but three stolen bases. So he progressed, got his batting average got better, which is something you love to see, especially when you're going through the higher levels. He was a 2022 um, comp round pick. Uh, let's see, 79th overall. So he's only 19 years old. So to make it to double A, we're talking about guys like Jackson Churio, Jackson Holiday. I'm not saying he's at the level of those guys, but he's the same age as them. So I don't think he has the same ceiling as them, but it's still impressive nonetheless. Well, we're seeing more of that, right? Basayo getting the call to double A. We talked about him last week. Uh, we are seeing more of the 19-year-olds pushed, and I think we saw a lot of movement this year towards the end of the year where organizations really just wanted to give players a, a test for what they were going to be seeing next year, a lot like they're doing at the major league level where they're going to go ahead and throw them out there for 90 at-bats, make sure they don't lose their rookie eligibility. Now we're seeing that trickle down to the minor leagues. And for Anthony, I mean, an explosion in high A. When we were doing the numbers today, I didn't really understand why they bumped him up from A ball. Um, you know, like that's months ago now. When you see the production he had, he was struggling. And as you had mentioned, as soon as he hit high A, he exploded. And he essentially gave you the three, four, five slash line that you're looking for and then followed that up again in double A in 10 games. And I think that's why you talk about him being the number one riser. When you look at him, he's looking like a all around profile. I think realistically, the speed as he gets a little bit older and, and matures into his body um, actually will pick up a little bit. I expect him to be a 15 to uh, 20 steal guy at the major league level. And then the home runs, we're going to really have to watch that development next year because, again, at age 19, that body's still developing. Uh, but Roman Anthony, definitely a high riser on our, our ESPN league. Can't pick him up, you know, because ESPN is an absolute trash platform. So <laughs> he may be in the draft next year, and it'll be interesting to see who gets him, who fights over him, and when, what he really goes for, because I think this is going to be a name kind of steadily in the top 10, moving into the top five if, as we have graduations next year, and it's going to be all the Roman Anthony buzz as soon as the holidays and the common euros are off the board, and I think ultimately he probably has an opportunity to be the number one prospect mid-season or possibly end of season next year if we can see those graduations. Sounds like you're going to get him. All right, the number <laughs> 10... <laughs> <laughs> the number two guy um, is somebody I was keeping an eye on for most of the season. I was a little disappointed how he finished the season once he got promoted, but nonetheless, he is still a riser, and that's Luis Perales. Um, pitcher, 6'1", only 20, signed internationally in 2019. I want to read you his low A ball stats, um, which is what really struck out to me. A 3-2-1 um, ERA, 53 and a third inning, 71 strikeouts with 28 walks. Love that. Then he got bumped up to high A in 36 and a third innings. His ERA jumped to 4.95. Don't like that. His walks went up 22 walks in that 36 and a third innings, 44 strikeouts. So still striking out more than a batter per inning. I like to see that. But the increase in walks, I don't like that. I'm curious. I'd have to dig a little bit more into it. Was he relying less on the fastball, which gets a 70 out of 80 grade? And was he trying to develop more of those secondaries, those sliders, change-ups, um, and work on those? So I'll have to dig a little bit more into that. But either way, he is somebody to watch. I still think he's a few years away, but definitely liked what I saw from him this year. Yeah, and I think that's the story for this organization outside of the Roman Anthony rise this season. Is there three big-time pitching prospects that we saw put up really nice strikeout numbers this year? Uh, that's Perales Gonzalez, and then we're going to talk about um, uh, Jordani later. But these three players are going to be monitored throughout the next couple of years because you're talking about really high-end K potential. And Perales obviously showing a really good opportunity in A-ball this year come the bump up and having a little bit more of a concentrated hitter, a little bit older hitters, did see a little bit of that drop off. But I like the 6-1 frame. I like the age. Really needs to develop still. Uh, at 20 years old, I think, you know, they're going to be patient with him. Um, Brian Bilo, uh, Bello had that ability to in the minor leagues. It took him a little time at the major league level. So they could be having a really good group of players. And we just mentioned Gonzalez. He's next. Uh, 21, six foot, signed in 2018. He pitched in uh, high A as well as double A. Uh, high A was not nearly as good in terms of uh, pure production. A 5.14 ERA and high A this season, 15 starts, 63 innings, but 105 Ks in high A. 
And then Richie going to double A, he had 10 starts. So, I mean, it's kind of relatively decent splits, 48 innings in double A, had a 242 ERA, 63 strikeouts. So you see similar to Perales where you see that level jump, the strikeouts did get lowered quite a bit as he moved on. Who do you like more out of these two pitchers right now? Oh, putting me on the spot. Um, I like Perales more. Okay. Um, I do. It's tough, but yeah. Mm, put me on the spot. They're close. You can tell that um, they're close to me, but it's the 70 walks for me for uh, Wickelman. Um, but I, he has the striker upside, 168 strikeouts over the year. I think that is top five of all minor leagues this year. Um, so he's got that strikeout upside, but man, I just love that fastball from Perales, 70 grade. Wickelman gets 60 grade on his fastball, but also 60 grade on his curve. So, mm, yeah, I think I'm like, it's like probably 52% leaning Perales, 48% Gonzalez. Okay. That's well, where I'm at. And where I are you think at? I'm with Perales as well, and I, when I, I've listed out these heights on here because that's a really important thing for me when I'm really analyzing these pitchers. And when we talk about your Danny here in a little bit, you'll understand why I'll go deeper into that. Um, but for Gonzalez, six foot, right? I think the best case scenario when we're looking for a strikeout pitcher is Freddie Peralta. It took Freddie Peralta five, six years to develop consistency from Milwaukee. This was the season when we finally got to see Freddie throughout an entire season stay healthy and be productive. And I really equate that to, A, he has a smaller stature. He's you know putting more um, emphasis on the arm. There's going to be injury concerns. And Freddie was a dominant fastball pitcher. And Gonzalez, though, so far this season has been the same, but he doesn't have the same fastball grade that Perales has. So I will take Perales. Uh, he's also younger, and this could change, right? Perales being only at high A going into next season, if he's given the double A assignment and he just gets absolutely lit up you know we will have a different conversation here but both had great seasons yeah absolutely and i'm curious i know we have him at number five but i'd say we just don't uh, jump into yeah, Jordani well. and monique row right now um yeah so i'll just hop right into him Jordani is the third starting pitcher that's on the risers he jumped three levels went from Low A all the way. Or no, I think he started. Started at rookie three. and then hit, yeah. Started at rookie and went to high A. Here's the kicker, though, and I kind of take what his production is with a grain of salt because he is 21. Um, he just turned 21, but still, he was in rookie ball all of 21, all of 22, and the start of 23. So I'm curious if these numbers that I'm about to list off if they're a little inflated and if he just cruised through these levels because he was supposed to be at high A, but to start the year, 15 innings at low A, 1.2 ERA, 20 strikeouts, four walks, love to see that. Then he goes to regular A, low A, I should say, 40 and two-thirds, 60 strikeouts, 17 walks, 2.43 ERA. Doesn't get much better than that. Then goes to high A, 1.8 ERA in 10 innings, Five walks, 13 strikeouts. You like that. Besides the walks, you know, five walks in 10 innings, not the greatest. So it's a smaller sample size from him. I don't know if he was dealing with some sort of injury. I'm trying to read that now. Well, and um, you're right. He, yeah, he's he concerning. Finished, um, he finished the season hot. So he's definitely somebody that I'm going to keep an eye on, see how he progresses, see if he can get to double A, hopefully triple A by the end of next year. And hopefully that production continues. Yeah, none of the three pitchers, I think when we're talking about it from a dynasty perspective, you really are looking for that two or one, right? You're looking for a pitcher that can really anchor your rotation, anchor the Red Sox rotation. And I think it's your Danny when we're talking about these three. Now, he also has the opportunity to completely fizzle out and be a bullpen arm. Um, and that's sometimes the risk that you're going to play with these guys but we need to see another full year of production, as you had said, and we need to see him at double A. We need to see him at an age-appropriate level going into 2024, going into his age 22 season. It's been pure domination so far. You talked about those five walks at high A. Well, it's the first time I think he finally had a hitter that would spit on a pitch because those strikeout numbers are absolutely ridiculous, especially mixed with a really good ERA. 
And I don't necessarily like to really look at ERA for a lot of these minor league pitchers because they at times are working on things that we're unaware of. Sometimes it's pitch mixes. Sometimes it's really developing a pitch. But when you're going out there and you're just purely dominating players, you all you can think to yourself is this pitcher has upside. And at the 6'4 stature, as I had mentioned earlier, he has the opportunity to be more of a durable pitcher because he's not leveraging as much of his frame to get the velocity that Perales or Gonzalez is going to be doing. So you have more to work with. And I think ultimately he's the guy I'm looking at from this organization as probably my, my number one pitching prospect with the opportunity going into next year to be really, really big name and a huge riser within the pitching prospect ranks. Obviously, we, we worry about injury a lot, but that double-A assignment is going to be really, really important for us. So you like him more than Perales and Gonzalez? Yes. Okay. Yes. I think, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at frame. Um, there are very few pitchers in the league, and we, we've talked about this often, that, that can have that six-foot, that 5'11 stature and really be successful with the strikeout. And we've also talked about this. Like, I am targeting strikeout pitchers that I think can – translate that to the major league level and while Prowlis and Gonzalez have shown that this season we have I have concerns because of their size that's fair that's fair yeah I I group all three of them very similarly in my mind and I have a hard time deciding who I like the most but I still think it's Perales by a, a smidge over the other two guys but yeah I like all three of them can't go wrong with any of them well and those are the guys. I mean, we went through the organization. Those are the guys to monitor. The next people we're going to talk about here, they're going to be hitters. And um, I, I think outside of Roman Anthony, like probably not superstars. I think Kyle Teal, who we'll, we'll just start it off with Kyle Teal at seven and kind of go back to Abreu uh, in a minute here. Kyle Teal was the uh, first-round draft pick, 14th overall, fell in the draft. I think the Red Sox got very lucky. I don't think they had any intention in drafting a catcher until Teal fell to them. Uh, Teal got three levels out of the shortened season because of him being drafted mid-year, 26 games. Over those three levels, he batted 363 with two home runs. So you didn't see the explosion of power that you saw from Shaw or from Wyatt Langford, but at least you got the average out of Teal. Definitely dominated each level he went to, finished off in double-A. So I think we'll expect at least a double-A assignment next year. Probably a full year at double-A since he is a catcher. They'll allow him to develop his catching uh, 42 first and foremost, and I think allow that offense as well to really shine at double A. But Kyle Teal for me is definitely probably the second most exciting hitter uh, in this organization because, again, I'm looking for can you be a top 10 at your position? And I think Teal has the opportunity to do that. Man, Kansas City Royals botched with not drafting him, man. I don't know what they were doing. But, anyways, yeah, Kyle Teal, I didn't realize how good he did this season because he was overshadowed by the the Matt Shaws and the Wyatt Langfords and the Dylan Cruz. And taking a look at his numbers, man, he did phenomenal outside of the power production. And that's pretty damn good. I won't be surprised to see him by the end of next year if he continues at this trajectory. Because who's the Red Sox current catcher? Oh, my God. I mean, it, it's got to be. They have to be catcher and waiting at this point. Um, oh, I, Christian uh, Vasquez. Yeah, that right? makes sense. Yeah. yeah, he's definitely better than Christian Vasquez at his peak. So, yeah, yeah I definitely like Kyle Teal. Um, I think the best one, though, is this Weiler Abreu who reached the majors this year, batted 316, two home runs in his 28 games, even put up three stolen bases. Yeah, Triple A in 86 games, 274 batting average, 22 home runs, eight stolen bases. So I'm curious if that batting average will stay that way in the majors and if it's just one of those things where the pitchers haven't figured out the holes in his swing yet and they'll get plenty of time in the offseason to take a look at some film, figure him out, and we'll see if he has a cold start to the beginning of next year. Well, I think he's the name that we're looking at, especially in Dynasty Leagues, where if you're a rebuilding team, you might be able to go ahead and steal him from an opposing team for very little. Uh, I would imagine that he would not be in their plans because he's not the shiny toy. And this could be a player that could anchor your third outfield spot for years because I think what we're seeing so far in the numbers, being 24, looking at his overall slash line for the past few years is a very consistent player, a guy that's going to offer you 2020 potential, a guy that's going to offer you a 270 to 280 batting average. Like This is a very, very usable top 50 outfielder in my opinion fringe top 50 but I still think top 50 potential and you don't have that shine on him so 
He's a guy I'm going to be targeting in Dynasty Leagues, looking to trade for right away, especially if you're rebuilding. He's a player that you can start in your lineups. And I think he could be a guy in two or three years from now after you build out a team that you're very, very happy to have because he has that consistency. Uh, again, 24 years old. I like that. He's going to be hitting the major leagues next year at age 25. So you should have a, a gained level of maturity as well. Um, and again, there's opportunity in this outfield. You know, we're going to talk about Rafaela here in a minute, but I wouldn't be surprised if Abreu is taking time from Rafael's, uh, Rafaela's glove because of the consistency. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if a break. He kind of surprised me because I wasn't paying too much attention to him in the minor leagues. I knew of him, but I didn't realize what he was doing, and I was surprised when he got the call up. Um, so, yeah, definitely one of those ones that snuck up on me for sure, kind of like Michael Harris did last year when he got called up by the Braves. I think Abreu would have been this year's Michael Harris. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I mean, Evan Carter, maybe. But I mean, there, there's a few without the same level of uh, of time in the majors because Harris had enough time to qualify not yeah, only for Rookie of the Year but win it. That's true. Um, but I think you're talking similar profiles. And yeah, something the, like that. The Michael Harris profile was never, especially us playing predominantly in a points league, that like really excited us. And we have a player that we're going to talk about for Tampa down the line here today that actually reminds me a lot of this profile. Um, but we'll, we'll jump into Cedeno Rafaela, uh, next on the list, 23 years old, uh, big time glove prospect, shortstop by nature, played outfield for the Red Sox after he got called up at times. So he's outfield, infield um, eligibility in a lot of leagues. He played at AA as well as AAA this, this year, as well as playing at the major league level. Uh, in AA, 60 games, batted 294 with six home runs, 30 stolen bases. Then he went ahead and went to AAA, 48 games, 312, 14 home runs, six stolen bases, had a very, very hot stretch, which got him called up to the major league level. And this is the flashy outfield prospect, where we just talked about Abreu kind of being under the radar. Uh, Rafaela, while not being you know a top 20 guy, is probably the, the Red Sox' best outfield prospect because of the glove and because he has the ability to possibly play in the infield. I really like Rafaela, Richie, but... I'm a little bit hesitant to take him because I think there's more shine than there actually is going to be production. Yeah, I like him. I think he's more of a batting average over home run guy. But as far as fantasy perspectives go, there's so many outfielders that you can rely on more in this range. I think next year he's probably getting drafted in that 225 to 275 range, I would guess. And there's going to be some bounce-back candidates. I don't have any off the top of my head that I'd be willing to invest in. Um, it also depends if you're in win-now or rebuilding mode. If you're in rebuilding, yeah, definitely take a shot on him. But, yeah, for Rafaela, I, I mean, why not? If I'm if I'm debating between Abreu and Rafaela, think I'm going to bray you over Rafaela, even okay. though he's got so the more shine. Here's an offer for you in your inbox. You have Rafaela. You're kind of a middling team in a dynasty league. You know, you okay. don't I'm not sure if you're in, you're not sure you're out. Um Suzuki's offered for Rafaela. Are you taking Suzuki from Chicago for Rafaela or are you holding on to Rafaela? No, I'm taking Suzuki. Okay. Um I think no I questions take, asked. Okay. I think I'd take Rafaela. Um and, and it's just because I will always shoot for the higher side. I think we know now what Suzuki is, which is a really nice player. I think when we talk about Abreu, that's kind of what we have in Suzuki, right? Like 15 to 20, has a little bit of speed. Uh, Suzuki has that injury profile now that I think we have to concern ourselves with. But Rafaela has the opportunity to be a 25-25 guy. I don't think Abreu has that. Rafaela also has the opportunity to be like a full-time platoon and so does Abreu, but I think there's a little more consistency early on with Abreu. Yeah, we'll see. All right, we got two more names, Richie. We have uh, our favorite, Blaze Jordan. You know, we've talked Blaze about him since, Jordan. you know, he was out of since diapers. He was in high school. Uh, and then we have uh, Brainer uh, Bonesy, uh 21 years old, shortstop, second base eligible. Uh, but let's go ahead and start off with Blaze. Blaze, really nice season. I think this is the first time he's really put together a good slash line between high A and double A where we can start to get excited about the potential of him actually being a starter at the major league level, also a producer. I think Blaze at this point and what we're profiling at 296 average with a 350 on base percentage and a 481 slug with 18 home runs and only 75 Ks this year for me is probably profiling as a middle infield or a corner infielder. Uh, I don't 
think I'm comfortable yet really placing him at third or first because the organization itself hasn't really decided if it's outfield or infield he'll be playing. Um, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to go ahead and classify him as a corner infielder for Dynasty Leagues. And a guy that I think also may not have the shine and could be a nice little addition as a starter in your fantasy lineup. Yeah, I was a little disappointed with his jump to double A when he batted 254. Now, granted, it was 49 games, so it's a smaller sample size. But I do like what he's done overall in the minor leagues um, over the last few seasons. Kept that batting average up as well as having a little bit of pop, something you like to see. Um, Yeah, I mean, for Blaze, he's not a riser or a faller for me. He's about what I expected to see from him, um, if that makes sense. This is pretty much what I expected to see from Blaze Jordan. I'm a little worried that he's going to be their designated hitter, doesn't get the greatest defensive rankings by MLB with only a 40-grade fielding out of 80, so it's not the greatest. And you got Rafi Devers there at third, so I'm trying to think who they got at first. Is it Justin Turner now? So I don't know how long that contract is. I mean, Blaze Jordan's years away, so um, yeah. Well, and- I'm, I'm concerned he'll be a DH. And again, your age, you know, age to season 20. Uh, so double A, he's also shown when he hits a level, you should take some little time to really yeah, figure it out and get true. comfortable. And I think that's something that we just have to be okay with with some of these prospects. You know, we saw that from a few of our really big risers. Junior Comanero had a little bit of a struggle and then absolutely took off and figured it out. Uh, but we also saw Yankeel Fernandez absolutely light it up with power as soon as he was moved up to double A and then struggle the entire second half. So we have to monitor some of these players and, and give them, I think, a little bit of uh, slack. But next on the list, as I had mentioned, is Brainer uh, Bancia, and I'm probably butchering that, so I apologize. Again, 21 years old, shortstop, second base, uh, high A, double A this season, 297 average over both levels, 11 home runs, seven stolen bases. He's just a quick notation because he's a guy I think we could start to pick up steam on next year. As some of the fallers were risers, uh, were risers last year, I think. Uh, Bancia is an opportunity to be possibly a platoon bat, definitely a guy that can be spread around the infield and a name to keep an eye on another name that you might want to target in dynasty where you could maybe get him for next to nothing, because I think the 297 average is something to look on positively. Yeah. I think this one's a no brainer here. All right. It is time you, for, you didn't uh, get my joke. Did you no brainer? That's fantastic. Um, I'm sure we're okay. also pronouncing his first name incorrectly, but <laughs> It's probably like Braniar. Braniar, yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, – I, I just gave up on trying these days. Um, <laughs> okay, so it's time to get to the negative connotation here. Uh, we have the fallers. And I'm going to start it off, I think, number one, uh, Miguel Bliss. Huge drop-off. I mean, we saw him drafted in our uh, 2023 Dynasty draft, and he did not live up to expectations at all. There was injury, only 31 games this season, batted 230. 38 strikeouts, one home run, 11 stolen bases. So you're seeing the speed, but there was power potential we were supposed to see in Bliss. What do you think of this season from Bliss, and are you out moving forward? Yeah, I was very disappointed first that he got taken in our Dynasty League because I didn't think he was on anybody's radars besides my own at the time. And then, two, I was disappointed to see what he was doing and then him get dropped in our Dynasty League thought about picking him up and then I realized how bad he was doing then he went on with his injury and I don't think he ever came back um but as far as yeah his last game was May 30th so it's been a while since he's been out my question is um how long was he dealing with some sort of injury and uh, yeah I, I I don't know I'm not completely out but I'm on the wait and see approach. I want to see what he does next year, if he's fully healthy and see if he can get back to any production before I'm officially writing, writing him off as far as people I'm paying attention to. Yeah. And I think ultimately, you know, we, as I talked about earlier with uh, giving certain players a little bit of slack, you also have to ultimately uh, look at injuries and understand that like he could come out and have a huge 2024 um, but I currently am, am, if I'm having him in dynasty, I have no choice but to just sit on him and ultimately make that decision probably halfway through next year and see where things go. Um, now the next player I think is even wait, 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 wait. sub laxated his left shoulder on a swing 
and had season-ending surgery. So I don't know what sublaxated means, but you know I don't like shoulder injuries, so yeah, I might be out. I might be out. Yeah, the shoulders the shoulders a hard one. That was our concern with Corbin Carroll. Um, I mean, he was a one point five million dollar sign, so they didn't break the bank for him, but he also wasn't cheap. And I think that's where the expectations came for right out of the signing period a few years ago is that this was definitely a guy to monitor. Uh, we have one of those for the Rays as well that we'll talk about. But um, moving on, we've talked enough about Bliss here. Uh, I think that this name is something that's polarizing. It's polarized the industry. I, going into last season, thought I made a mistake by trading him and holding on to uh, Lawler. And I feel now the exact opposite. That's Marcelo Meyer, obviously the shortstop prospect taken before Jordan Lawler in the draft. 35 games at high A this season, batted 297 home runs, five stolen bases. Absolutely looked fantastic. Got moved up to double A right around the same time that Jordan Lawler did. And absolutely dumped uh 43 games batted 189 six home runs so still showed the power but 49 strikeouts four stolen bases he is definitely falling down boards um i am completely out on him where do you stand yeah i think he's gonna be a big bust and i haven't updated my top 100 prospects or i haven't finished it but i originally had him in i think my top 20 then i i dropped in my top 30 and now I'm questioning if he even needs to be in my top 75. And I'm almost at the point now where I don't even want him in my top 100. And the only reason why I'm keeping him in this range is because of the industry and the pedigree he comes from. And I don't know if it's necessarily warranted anymore until he can show us what he's worth. But as, as of right now, he is the biggest faller of almost any prospect outside of the Red Sox and all of MLB. Yeah, and you know, I when you're talking about him, I think very um, constructive with my top 100. I, I kept Drew Jones in there, and you know, I, even comparing the two, like Jones hasn't shown basically anything in pro baseball yet, and I've chosen to keep him my top 100. I think I still have Meyer in my top 15. As you said it, I think perfectly. The industry is is also right there, and there's some changes that I need to make because. We talked about a few players last week that I would much rather have. And if I were an owner of um, Marcelo Mayer, Mayer, I would absolutely accept the trade for. And he's going to have to move down my board. Uh, disappointing season. Again, a little bit younger, right? We, we had concerns with Lawler early in the season. And like he was talked about with being moved down boards. And obviously he turned it around and turned it around in a big way. Maybe Marcelo can do the same thing going into 2024. But as it stands right now, very disappointing season. Number three on the list is Nick York. Wait, before we before we move on, I'm curious. Let's say you are a Marcelo Meyer owner in a dynasty league, and somebody offers you Jet Williams, who we talked about last podcast as being a tier two breakout yes, into I'm your top fifty. Taking Jet Williams, yes. And where do you have Jet Williams in your top one hundred? Oh, do you have that? Uh, I don't have it up. If with you had me, to but, guess. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to guess 58th. Okay. And you have Marcelo Meyer in the top 15, top 50. Yeah. So, so boom, he's now at least 59. Yep. Next question. Thomas Segacy is offered to you for Marcelo Meyer, who is your top or tier three breakout uh, into your top 100. Are you taking Thomas Segacy or Marcelo Meyer? Okay. So let me preface this real quick. I do have jet in my top 50. I have jet over Tamar Johnson. Um, I don't have the numbers next to the names, but it's looking like almost top 25, uh, if not top 30. So that makes sense. Um, and Segacy, no. I think I'm holding on to, to Mayer. Okay. I was just Segesi. trying to gauge. Just trying to gauge. No, no, okay, and I, I, think that's, I think that's fair. My only thing with, with, um, with Segacy is I, I'm not sure that he's anything more than an average infield play in, in Dynasty. And in fantasy. So I'm going to hold on to the potential of upside and just hope that Mayer can turn it around. Um, I do That's think fair. Williams is a starting shortstop or second baseman with speed. So it's like, well, I'll take the speed, uh, the guarantee, and and kind of hope. Um, but to, to your point, like he's he's probably outside my top 50 at this point. Um, okay. All right. so that was the only exercise I wanted to go um, I love that you brought up Jet Williams because Nick, Nor- Nick York is next. And I think this is kind of a great comparison. And it's a great comparison because Nick York lacks something that Jet has. Nick York season 268, so not that far off from Williams this season. 13 home runs and then 18 stolen bases. 
And that is exactly where this is the problem. Nick York does not give you that 30, 40 stolen base potential. And I think it's a big reason as to why he's falling down boards because after an exciting 2022, you just don't have the same pedigree in 2023. And he's not really offering you one category to get excited about. Yeah, yeah. You're really on the the Jet Williams bandwagon. I'm not completely sold, but I will take him over Nick York because Nick York is a faller. And to be honest, I was never really a Nick York believer, even back when he was drafted in the first round, 17th overall in that COVID season. I looked at what he did, and I just didn't necessarily like what I saw from him. Maybe he's just a better baseball overall baseball player than he is fantasy player, but... Never was really a Nick York fan, so I'm with you on taking Williams over him. Well, and I, I think they got caught up in the Dustin Pedroia, you know, hype and concept of, like, we have a shorter stature guy, he's a gamer. I think you said it best. He's a better baseball player than he is a fantasy translation, and it's not a guy that we're getting excited about. Um, I'm going to let you wrap it up with five and six, but I'm going to touch on four really quick. That's Mickey Romeo, 2022 first-round pick, 24th overall. A ball this season, high A did have an injury, so he only played in 34 games, batted 214, no home runs, two stolen bases. He is a faller because you are talking about a player that could have had an explosion coming out of the first round, very similar to Roman Anthony, and just didn't get the opportunity to. So I think Mickey Romeo will be falling this season. He could absolutely be rising next season. I like what the Red Sox have been doing with their draft profiles, but you can't classify Mickey Romeo as anything but a faller this year. Uh, and he'll definitely look for a 2024 bounce back. And this is, again, a player in Dynasty where if you're rebuilding, might as well take a swing because you can probably get him for next to nothing. And that's the type of profile I really enjoy. Yeah. I'll, I'll touch base on the next one. Chase Meadroth. He was a fourth-round draft pick last year for them. Um, 22 years old. Like what he was doing at high A, he was batting 338 had two home runs, four stolen bases. You love to see that average, but he's a faller because as soon as he reached double A, only batted 255, um, but he did have seven home runs with nine stolen bases, so it's kind of a tale of two stories, but either way, he's a faller because he can't keep that consistency and because at 22, you should be at least doing okay um, at double A, if not making it to triple A at that point, so... He's a faller. I don't necessarily believe in the power production as much as I do the batting average. I think at his peak, he's more of, you know, maybe a 270, 280 hitter, but I need to see more consistency out of him. Well, and they're running into trouble here, right? They have average tier prospects with York and Midroth, and then you have Marcelo Meyer thrown into the equation as a, a blue chip prospect, all middle infielders. And then you go into the the big problem with Rafaela as well as a glove talented prospect, as well as showing flashes of offense. And they're kind of in a logjam of trying to figure out, well, okay, is it York? Is it Midroth? Like, are we going to give Rafaela the chance? Are we going to give Brainier an opportunity? So one of these guys will rise. I think the other two will be used probably as trade chips, you know. And at this point, maybe for relief pitching, maybe for a veteran player that doesn't really provide as much excitement. Um, but Midroth and York were risers last year and definitely fallers in 2023. Yeah, absolutely. All right, last player, um, uh, that's Alex Binellis. Uh, again, sorry with the name. 23 years <laughs> old, double A. This was a player that I was really watching heavily. He was acquired in the Hunter Renfro trade to Milwaukee. He was a player that I didn't love that we gave up. College bat out of the draft. Showed really promising power potential. I want to say he was Louisville, if I remember correctly, and it just has not turned into contact. Uh, as he's climbed up into the higher levels, again, double A, batting only 233 with an on-base percentage under 300 at 296 is really concerning, and he may end up being a journeyman um, minor leaguer, which is unfortunate. Um, 16 home runs, so he still flashes some of that power. 2024 will be a testament for him. He will completely fall off all of my lists if he has a bad 2024 I would place him definitely outside my top 200, probably outside my top 300 now. But a name that I was looking for at putting in a top 100 and just was never given anything uh, past the lower levels. levels. So that's, again, Alex Binellis, um for the Red Sox. Hey, it's not a bummer for the Milwaukee Brewers. They got Hunter Renfro out of it. So 
with yeah, that. That turned out <laughs> great. Uh, all right, Richie. Um, we're doing Rays now, so go ahead, kick us off. Um, you know, do as many as you want, and then I'll jump in. Yeah. Um, the first one is going to be a guy that I will be acquiring in our dynasty <laughs> league here in the near future. That is Junior Caminero. Um, went from not even being on many top 100 prospect um, list to being arguably the top prospect in all of baseball. Went from high A to double A to making a major league appearance. Um, in the majors, he had seven games, so not much of a sample size, but 235 batting average, one home run. But over um, high A and double A, he batted 324. He had 31 home runs. Um, I mean, pretty much the best season I think I've seen um, for any minor leaguer in a long time. So he definitely checks all the boxes, doesn't have necessarily the most speed, but he's got all the other four tools. So you'd love to see that. Um, I mean, he's your boy. You own him in our dynasty league. Anything else you want to say on him? Well, you know, I, I think first and foremost, our league is a little different than most dynasty leagues. I, I don't think he would have been available in other dynasty leagues. Had we had it even more of a larger format, but I will say this is why you pay attention. And obviously we've been doing the podcast for a number of years now and, you know, we enjoy minor league baseball, but he was a name for a couple of weeks that was just heating up and heating up and heating up. And as I would check Twitter, you know, you see the exit velocity come off the bat without even a, a number attached. And you just know uh, he just hits the ball differently. And it turned into, as you said, the probably biggest riser I've seen in the last number of years coming out of absolute obscurity to top five. And the big takeaway I have was his major league appearance. Yeah, he looked overmatched at times. He definitely looked overpowered with big league pitching in regards to the strikeout. But also when he made contact, he looked like he has superstar potential. And I think a really good conversation you and I have had off air, especially regarding the fantasy league, is you know, Langford for Comanero. And I think Langford's going to be a, a much more competitive, consistent player when he hits the major leagues. But I think Comanero has that Acuna, um, Rodriguez talent in him to be a top five player i don't know that it will come over even the next couple years because he is at age 20 in this in this minor league season but i think what we're seeing with the exit velos is an elite level prospect and at the major league level at 20 years old i was happy with what i saw uh, i was happy with him still taking uh, cuts at balls that he may not uh, have any business swinging at because he has the confidence up there to to do damage. Um, and I think we're going to have a really exciting 2023 season with him. And I expect him to have a really nice second half. I think the first half could be, could be some struggles for him. Yeah, I definitely, he is this year's Jackson Churio from last year. Yep. Would you agree with that? Except for he ascended way further than Jackson Churio ever did. Well, and it was only by necessity. I mean, the Wander Franco scandal, scandal, like it, it forced them to find some excitements right like mm -hmm. it forced them to fill a vital spot of that team being shortstop they had to find a, a solution and i think Kamenero was like well screw it this is the band-aid that we're going to give the fan base and we're going to kind of wash our hands of that situation yeah all right the number two riser um for the tampa bay rays is arguably the hottest hitter to end the minor league season um, and that is xavier isaac first baseman he went from low A to high A, um, and in low A, he batted uh, 266, not great, over 90 games. Then he had 12 games at high A, where he batted 408 with six home runs in 12 games, that is, when he had 13 home runs in all of 90 games at low A. But if we look at his last 30 games, which combine his low A and his high A, he batted 408 with uh, those six home runs that he had. Um, 16 RBI. So I think he's in the conversation for best first baseman of all of the prospects right now. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones. If not, I would say he's arguably number two or three best first baseman in all of the minor league system right now. Yeah. And he reminds me of the, the Prince Fielder profile when Fielder was taken. I think we're going to see a very different player than Fielder. I think we're going to see lower home run totals. You know, I think we're going to see that average right around the 285 this season. The 11 stolen bases are a complete facade. He's not going to be a, a stolen base guy, in my opinion. Um, and kind of jumping in here, the Phillies have lost, and the Diamondbacks yeah. are going to the World Series. 
So congratulations, that is Arizona. Nuts. Makes me feel good Crazy. for bringing my um, City Connect Arizona hat with me to Denver. Um, and no one commented on it. So, you know, screw you guys. But um, back to Isaac here. Oh, I, you, you are in uh, divisional territory. Yeah, in because there's so much competition there, right? You know, they have so much to be proud of for all the, all of their sports well, teams. Well, it's the Nuggets Denver. Didn't it's Denver. The, I'll leave it at that. The world championship. Anyways. Um, love Isaac. I don't really have much more to say. I think you hit it on perfectly. He's Isaac for Caminero. <laughs> he's arguably my favorite first base prospect if Basalo stays catcher. Um, and I oh, think okay. that's interesting. I think if Basalo goes to first, I like Basalo enough over Isaac. Um, but they're very similar profiles, similar ages, exactly the same age, 19. Um, but both very exciting seasons. Yeah. Absolutely. I think those are the two biggest risers, but we do have a few more. Um, you want to take this next one? I'm going to blow through three and four, and then you go ahead and talk about six, uh, seven, and six and seven, and then we'll talk okay. about five. You, you go through what you want. Um, Mason Montgomery, 23 years old, left-handed pitcher, 2021, taking 191st overall fastball slider changeup guy, 55 grades on the fastball and the slider, 50 on the changeup. Double uh, A this season and Triple A. In Double A, hit 107 innings, 131 strikeouts, which was really nice. To only 49 walks, that was really see a quick jump. Really had the age help him at Double A there, being 23. Then going to Triple A, four games, 16 innings, 13 Ks, 11 walks. So this is the concern for me. I would have almost put him in a faller, but I do like the numbers overall. Did only had seven hits allowed in Triple A. But Mason Montgomery is definitely a guy I'm looking at next year to possibly be a filler piece in this Rays rotation, which has injuries almost every single year now. I think he could be a guy that you keep in your minor league stash with the opportunity to pull innings out of him. And you know that the Rays are going to pull the best production out of their pitchers. So he could be a swing guy. He could be a starter. Um, he could be a bulk inning guy. And uh, he's not a name that I think is shiny, but definitely I think has some utility in Dynasty Leagues. And then... yeah. Uh, dump, jumping to four, Dominic Keegan, 23 years old, catcher, A ball, high A, 106 games, 287 average, 13 home runs, 19 Ks. He's been a really big riser in industries. People seem to really like him. I do not. I think there's a lot of catchers out there right now. I think there's a lot of really nice young catchers. I think he's a name to monitor, and I think he's probably best for two catcher leagues. Yeah, I would agree with everything you said there. Number five, Colton Ledbetter. I mean, is there a better last name? Sorry. <laughs> I just say that second round draft pick for them, 55th overall. Started out fantastic at rookie ball, batted 400. Only three games, though. Then he went to low A, batted 254. But being a second round draft pick, you're not going to be that upset that he made it to low A with the production there. Um, then we move down to Carson Williams at number six for the risers. He is their number two prospect, according to MLB pipeline. He was their first round draft pick in 2021, 28th overall. He's only 20. So take that with a grain of salt, but he made it all the way to triple a, um, played four games there, did horrible, went back down to double a <laughs> where he batted 429. Um, and then granted, it was a small sample size as well. But nonetheless, he's rising up the prospect systems. He has fantastic power, not much of a hit tool. But nonetheless, he is a riser and moving up the system. I hate using this comp because I say it so much, but Joey Gallo, um, I don't want to say he's similar to Joey Gallo because he doesn't have the same build as Joey Gallo. But I have a better some... one for you. I think, yeah, I think he one. is give Willie Adamas. Ooh, uh, I think he's really Adams. Okay, you know, like so he'll get traded to the Brewers in a few years. <laughs> I just the 158 Ks, the 58 walks. You know, that's three to one ratio. Power is is there. We we can't argue that. Um, and the AAA four games was really because they ran into hell with the Franco situation. They had to call players up, and they needed to. They needed literally someone to play tri uh, shortstop for that that team. And. I, I I don't want to say I don't like him because I feel like I'm going to eat those words next year. I feel like a hit tool could absolutely be around the corner, but I don't like him. <laughs> That's all you have to say. Yeah. Number seven is Chandler Simpson. I believe he was the stolen base leader of all of the minor leagues. Correct me if I'm wrong, Matt. 
The only other name that was. I can think of is Victor Scott, and I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know Chandler Simpson until we did this exercise today, and I when I saw oh, his really? numbers, I was like, whoa. Oh, um, I thought you knew about him. Yeah, no. it was him and Victor Scott. They were going back and forth. I don't know where they ended up, but anyways, he has zero power, the lowest on the grade, 20 out of 80, um, and that's on a 20 to 80 grade scale, so that's absolutely none. <laughs> he has, let's see... Zero home runs in his minor league career from this year and last year. But he gets the highest run grade at 80 out of 80. What do you have? 94. 94. 94 stolen bases. Wow, he couldn't get 100. What a douche. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and this is the profile I I don't pay attention to, right? Like, I love the Jet Williams. Give me 15 home runs and 60 steals. But Simpson, like, you usually think of these guys as useless. And the game has changed. So batting 293, the more important thing for me was 44 Ks to 54 walks. I have to imagine his eye at the plate is phenomenal. And this is, as I talked about earlier, like you're talking about a third outfield, plug and play guy that's not going to kill you in average, not going to kill you in OBP. This is the player you want. Um, Does he get an opportunity is the question. Yeah, I think he, I think he got to, and maybe he might just be a pinch runner. We'll see, but it reminds me of a lot of Enrique Bradfield, who was just drafted yep. by the Baltimore Orioles, but he's just further along. So we'll see. And then, and we are excited about Bradfield. So we, we should have the same excite, excitement about Simpson. But Bradfield's going to give you some home runs. He's not a zero. Yeah. Well, I need to see the game. You know, is, is 20 meaning like he will only get you singles? Like there is absolutely nothing in the bat? Or is this a guy that we can see drive the ball? with line drives and like really be dangerous from those doubles and triples perspective, especially with the Rays organization. Um, I will be watching him a lot more closely next year. Yeah. I'll let you take the last one. Well, I just wanted to touch on Colton Ledbetter real quick. He was the name I was referring to earlier. I think next year we're going to see him have, you know, a Brayu type numbers going into the 2024 season where we're really getting excited. I think again, a college bat batting 274, showcasing a little power, 17 Ks, 12 walks, like we're seeing some discipline as well as the ability to kind of keep those numbers in line. I think Ledbetter could be an absolute stallion next year. And again, in, in Dynasty Leagues, I think you have the opportunity, him being a second round pick, to go out and, and really jump on this. Um, again, there's not a lot there, but to me, I'm seeing and foreshadowing something that could be a really big 2024. Last name on our list, uh, Yoneal Kretz. Um, again, sorry if I mispronounced that, but 20 years old, 6'2", started the season in A ball, uh, was promoted to high A, 22 games started this season, 26 games overall, 104 innings, 144 Ks with 73 walks and a 294 ERA. I'm putting him on this list because he is absolutely a name we need to monitor, uh, coming from the Rays organization, which develops pitchers very well. I loved the walks to the innings ratio. Uh, or excuse me, the strikeouts to the innings ratio. The walks do concern me a little bit, so that's kind of why he's eight on this list, but I think this is something we could get excited about. But again, we have seen some of these players come through the Rays organization. We're going to talk about one in a minute here as our faller, um, but a name to keep an eye on next year, and that's Crete, C-U-R-E-T, 20 years old, uh, A-ball and high A. I would almost say Curette. Curette. I don't know. I could be butchering it too. It's just it's a, at this thinking. point, it's just embarrassing and it's impossible. And uh, until I can hear a major league announcer say the name a few times, I don't I'm trust just, the minor leaguers as well. I'm still gonna just blame it on you skipping that sophomore English class yep. that we you mean every we had. English we class? finally had it. We finally had. A, <laughs> we finally had a class together, and you just skipped it every time. It was senior year, to be fair. Um, was it senior year? It was senior year, but. Um, it wouldn't have, way. wouldn't have mattered because it's my greatest weakness. Go ahead and <laughs> kick us off with fallers here. Okay. The number one faller for me is Cole Wilcox, and that's because of his pedigree and what he comes from and the what he has. So he's a 2020 third-round draft pick, um, 80th overall in that COVID year to the Padres. He was traded. I can't remember what he was traded for, but he gets a 60-grade fastball, 60-grade slider, 50-grade change, 50-control. Love to see that coming out of the draft. He was a guy I was high on. Just hasn't put it together in 106 and two-thirds innings at AA. 99 strikeouts, so less than a strikeout per inning. 44 walks, not terrible, but 5-2-3 ARA and a 1-3 whip. Not the greatest. He is a faller for me. Yeah, and 
It's disappointing because they've had a few names. Wilcox is the most recent, but they've had a few names that I've really gotten excited about and just haven't been able to push through the lower minor leagues into successful upper levels. And Wilcox just happens to be that next player. Um, he was involved with the Blake Snell trade. That's kind of why I was stalling there. But, yes, I, I'm disappointed mm-hmm. Wilcox. There's always opportunity and always time for these pitchers to develop. Uh, next on our list is Braden Taylor. This was a very disappointing pick that you had mentioned in the last draft where the Brewers did not take him. Brewers uh, decided not to go with him. The Rays took him immediately after at 19th. Rookie ball, A ball, 25 games, 242 average. Showcased some power, which was not something he was known for coming uh, into the drafts, which is why I think the Brewers did pass on him. But those five home runs, definitely showing he has something in the tank. But it was almost the opposite of his draft profile. Profiled as a very contact um, forward hitter. The 242 average doesn't necessarily show that. 34 Ks in 25 games. That's something to be interested with. 11 stolen bases. So I'm almost wondering if he was selling out for power to kind of maybe prove the doubters wrong. We will have to see how his 2024 season looks. Um, 55 hit, 55 power, 55 run. Very average across the board. A little bit above. Again, a very crowded infield though. And we'll talk about one of those guys next. Taylor will be a kind of mid-tier 2024 guy and maybe someone you can also get in Dynasty, maybe cheaper than he was drafted at if your first-year player drafts are already over with. Yeah, I like pretty much everything you said right there. The next faller is going to be Curtis Mead. Um, He was arguably the best third-base prospect coming into the year. I don't think that's the case anymore. His cohort, uh, Junior Caminero, easily supplanted him with that title. Um, but nonetheless, he still made it to the major leagues, batted 253 in 24 games, one home run. Um, but he started the year out at rookie. I think he was just coming back from injury over triple a though. He batted 294 with nine home runs. <sighs> Curtis Smith, I just, I don't know. I feel like he's just a guy. Um, just he's not going to be great he's not going to be bad he's going to be average and that's pretty much the profile i'm kind of getting the vibe from with curtis mead what are your thoughts on him see i he's on the followers because of where he was and obviously where his perception is now but i will have to always reference if a player had the pedigree it's almost like the the uh, mike mcdaniels you can't lose your job because of an injury concept that he has with the dolphins where he got hurt this year. It was a wrist injury. You're, of course, going to see lower production with a wrist injury. 253 in your Major League debut at 22 years old isn't terrible. And 21Ks in 24 but, games isn't great, but it, like, I'm I'm very happy to buy him at fan, in, fan, in Dynasty right now because I think he's cheaper than what his actual production is going to be. The question is, because he's a Ray, are they going to give him the opportunity? You know, you have the Camineros. Maybe the Wander Franco thing blows over and, you know, he's innocent. Don't see it happening. But then you have a problem, right? You have Camineros at third. You have Wander at short. Um, you have Carson Williams coming up soon, which is a hotter name. So Curtis Mead, I think, is a buy in Dynasty as long as his price is fairly adjusted based off this 23 campaign. My only concern is the Alex Kirloff effect, as I like to That's call fair. it. That's fair. Yeah. Dealt with wrist injuries. Kirloff was somebody I was super high on two, three years ago. And look where he is now. I don't even know what he did this year. He's not even even on my radar in the slightest bit. And he was supposed to be the guy um, a few years ago. So th- that's that's my concern with him and a wrist injury. Yeah, no, I mean, Ricky Weeks, same thing. If we really want to turn back the clock, like it is absolutely concerning. Um, but I will remind you, that Julio Rodriguez also shattered his wrist. So there, it goes both ways, right? I, I think I I mean, there's always going to be an exception, but I feel like the rule um, is if you have a wrist injury, it's, it's going to derail you a little bit. Like I had Manny Machado, and he had that wrist injury, that hairline fracture. Now he came back and was somewhat productive, but he never got to be the Manny Machado that I thought I purchased when I traded for him. He never fully came back like I thought he was going to be. And I, I fully attribute that to a wrist injury. But now, granted, it came out that he's now getting elbow surgery. So it is what it is um, going off the rails here really quickly. 
on this Tuesday night talking about Manny well, Machado and Ron Ray's faller. So let's have, get back on track. We have one more name, and I'll just finish off with Mead and just say, listen, like, if you have opportunity to buy prospects that were an absolute gold value and you can get them at silver or bronze, you do that, um, in my opinion. So me, at 22 years old, I think there's still buying potential here. So let me ask you this, because this was actually a trade I made. I traded Mead um, for Xavier Isaac yeah, in our a, dynasty. There was two no other brainer. players, but they were expensive pitchers that – I wasn't going to keep either of the pitchers, so it was pretty much just fluffer for the trade. Um, you take Isaac over Curtis Mead? Yeah, absolutely. But okay. Isaac Isaac should be untouchable unless you're offering a Caminero or a Holiday or a Lankford. You know, like obviously names. I that guess are, if you're offering me that, like I mean, send it over. <laughs> that's Those are the guys that I say no to. Like Isaac's rise this season is pushing top. 20 he's probably in my top 30 now and you know we're talking about arguably one of the best first base prospects with a good average but Mead is still a usable infield player right like I, I i think there are definitely names like honestly if you offered me Mead for marcelo meyer i think i accept that um Mead taking is at which side the taking curtis Mead. he's at the major league level oh. he's in a good organization um I, I like the profile i like where he was he was almost at the exact slot that Marcelo Meyer was before the injury. So, uh, you know, there's there's a lot to be talked about. I'm, I'm probably taking Meade over Jet Williams as well. And, again, it's because he's at the major league level. The only concern is the organization and the playing time and, and this and that. Um, all right. Federal holiday. I like that. I just took a look at your team name in our dynasty league. Yes. When did you change that? We are That's becoming awesome. patriotic, I guess, for next season because everyone's changed their well, names. It's, to it's an election year. Oh, it's an election year. Got it. Okay. Uh, I number changed f- my team name to President Jackson Cheerio. Yes, that is pretty great. Um, it should. I been. went through the whole list of presidents, and there, I had no players that had the last name of a president. That was the best I could get to. I mean, I like yours though. First like name is lot. great. As I, you know, see my phone notifications that you sent me a garbage trade. Okay, final. Hey, you said you would take. That. I didn't even. I'm not even gonna look at it. I'm just gonna move the notification to the side and not look at baseball for like five days, and it'll automatically go away. Number four on That's the list. Nice. That's uh, nice. Braylier Guerrero, 17 years old, outfield, signed for 3.7 million dollars. So we have one of our highest signing bonuses allocated in the 2023 signing period. Did not play very much at all. Uh, Shoulder surgery ended his season after seven games. The only real big note I have on him is high exit velocity. So Guerrero is a guy that we're going to be looking at in the DSL next year, possibly complex depending on where he is assigned. But $3.7 million is a lot of money. Uh, We talked about Bliss being 1.5 earlier. So this is going to be a name while he's a faller right now to definitely monitor in the 2024 season. Uh, I think the big thing that we're going to be talking about in this offseason as we get through some of these rankings is who's the next junior Caminero. And that's almost impossible, right? Um, who's the next Jackson Churio? These players coming out of DSL, coming out of complex, hitting a ball, who are the guys that we expect to take that jump forward into high A and really start producing and climbing the ladder a lot like uh, Basayo and um, Isaac as well. So, He's a guy that I think you can look at next year and possibly say, okay, the 3.7 has the pedigree. Like, do we see him absolutely start tearing the cover off the ball? He is the first name, I think, on my board to monitor for the young, young guys. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy with those DSL guys, who breaks out and who fizzles out. You know, it's funny that to finish this, like, we're talking about who's, like, who to monitor next year, right? In the same signing period, you have Ethan Salas, who's in double A. And he's an afterthought of being a international signing guy. And like, we're talking about this kid who's played seven games is like, Hey, keep an eye on him. It's like, I think that puts in context what Salas actually did this year, which is, I think maybe more impressive than Churio or, um, or Caminero. Um, now he didn't have the results, but like they're pushing him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is a better international signing class than we've had in the years previous, like the last two, three, four. But, I mean, we're still a ways away to see how good these guys actually are until they start reaching those lower-level minors and see how they adjust to them. I mean, they're all still so young, too. Yeah. I mean, 
I think I think Rainer Arias is probably my favorite, even more so than than Salas. But you have the injury there too. Rainer or Roderick? Uh, whatever the Giants there's one two. is. Rainer is Giants. Rainer is Giants. Yeah, yeah Rainer is Giants. Is yeah. Yankees, I want to say. Yep. Uh, but uh, Yankees Arias also someone to follow and someone that we've kind of monitored this season as well. All right, we have dragged this out long enough. We've talked about uh, Manny Machado. We've talked about multiple Arias <laughs> players. Uh, trades. Trades. The Phillies being eliminated. Um, it's been great. We will catch you guys next week. I think we're doing Yankees and Blue Jays. Is that correct? I think that's what we have left. Yeah, Yankees, Blue Jays. And then um, I, we might touch on AFL a little bit. Um, I, I think there's we'll only see a, how much time we have. a few names that we want to talk about. Um, Kevin Alcantara probably being the main one for me. But all right, guys, have a fantastic week. We will see you next week.